Science. Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Andy Wood. I'm joined by Matt Kirshen. Hey, Andy. We're back in the garden. Back in the garden. We've uh, we've done a. This is the first time out here in a while because we've we did the live one from Sketchfest mm-hmm. and then we recorded indoors because it was cold. And this time we're just not being a dick about it. You know, we're just digging deep. I'm. I feel bad, but I just did. It's weird. We. I don't know if listeners can tell when we record inside that I'm stressed because I'm constantly thinking about my roommates who are going to walk in the room and then not say anything, but obviously be mad that we're doing that. Just glower. Right. So we're doing this outside and it's cold. So I. I passed around some sweatshirts <laughs> and whatnot. Are you wearing the hoodie underneath? Yeah, I'm wearing a hoodie. It just, it just fits so well with what I was already wearing that yeah. you can't tell. It's yeah, just... it really does look good. It's like a layered... Yeah. Thanks, man. I had a roommate once that made me tuna sandwiches outside because she hated the smell so much. Oh, my God. She's like, can you... I just... I can't. Can you just go outside with that? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so I just moved out. That's a better solution. Yeah. <laughs> so you went outside permanently. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, those are the voices. It's a double guest episode. We have a oh, friend yeah. from England and a friend from America. Uh, Mr. Nick Dixon. Which is which? Hello. Uh, see if you can work out. I'm not even going to say. I'm not even going to let people know. <laughs> and Maria Shahata as well. Hello. How's I was going to. I was going to. I was going to be like hello. <laughs> but yeah, your English accent's anyway. not there yet. Um, <laughs> it's not quite good enough yet. I know. I keep trying. Uh, ha, ha, yeah. How's it going? Good. Thanks for joining us. Very quickly before we get into stuff, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who came out to the Sketchfest show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really cool. I. At the end of the show, there was a bit of confusion as to the next show was coming in and we were being made to take a group photo. So I think there might have been a couple of people who tried to say hello who we didn't get a chance to say hi to. Yeah, so I apologize if that happened, but thank you so much for coming out. We really yeah, appreciate it. The last it. thing I want anybody to think is that we were being divas in any way about <laughs> that because I would have gladly hung out right there and, and, and just chatted up everybody all the listeners instead i got sidetracked with somebody who um who i thought was like a listener to our podcast who i think kind of derailed everybody but she didn't even she didn't even know what podcasts were i think she just (laughs) maybe was an adam savage fan or something and then like somehow took up like a solid hour of the rest of my night i feel like did you encounter that? You were outside. I, with I me. think I, I think I know who you're talking about, but okay. I missed most of that happening. And I wouldn't make fun of a listener ever, but I know there's no way she's going to listen to this. So, uh, yeah, I apologize to the real diehard listeners who wanted to say hi. Um, but yeah, next we, time. we we saw a few of them. There were a, there were a couple of probably science t-shirts. Yeah, front row. There was this, oh, and the coolest thing about that whole episode. Wait, why am I recounting it as if you guys didn't get to hear it last <laughs> week? I'm just telling you guys, I guess. But uh, we asked our audience how many had varying levels of of like science and technology. Three full uh, science professors and quite a lot of other scientists. Yeah, we started wow. at science bachelor degrees, and I think like a third of the room raised their hands. We got to do the gig in an actual science museum. So, oh, amazing! There was a definitely triple digits of science bachelor's degrees, and then master's degrees in the 30s or 40s, and then uh, like 10 PhDs in yeah. the audience or more. Did you teach yeah. them anything? So we taught them how to. We, we taught them how to dance, you know, and how to be cool <laughs> in bars. <laughs> And then they taught you about science. And it yeah, was a, it was yeah. a good trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. So actually, actual science people are listening to this. Actually, I, mean, I that, love how you keep calling them science people. That's what they are. Yeah. Scientists? Don't call yeah. them, yeah. Well, no, they science used to people. might not all be scientists, but science oh. people. We know real scientists do listen to the show, and in fact, I met a couple of them at the event yeah. last week. But uh, yeah, real scientists listen to the show sometimes when they're doing real science. Hopefully, more when they're doing the administrative parts of science. Like we get people to go, well, I listen to you in the lab. And I'm like, I hope that's when you're just 
kind of cleaning stuff and watching for things to change rather than doing the actual hard thinking Labeling about... Labeling bottles of sulfuric acid. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Pointing at stuff with a pencil, that kind of thing, yeah. not the actual... Yeah. Which one's which? Who can remember? Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's clear. <laughs> clear things are fine to drink. But yeah, and for a while, we, there was a point in the show in the early days when we started to get emails in from real scientists because our listenership's kind of split between comedy fans who wanted something science-y to listen to and science scientists and science fans who wanted something that's a bit more lighthearted than some of the other science podcasts and i was like why are real scientists listening to our show we're we're idiots and then it took one scientist to write in and go hey you know scientists aren't experts in all science Right. So huh. <laughs> was, I right. thought they were. Yeah, so, I'm like I did know that, but I hadn't put those two things together. You're like obviously not. If you're a scientist, if you're a chemist, then you're almost a complete layperson when it comes to theoretical physics right. or zoology or something like that. But to be clear, a surgeon is perfectly qualified to run the country. Right? Oh well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Particularly a surgeon who doesn't believe in evolution. Yeah. Uh, so you, you guys are kind of all rounders. You know, sort of nothing about various. Topics. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's exactly. That's uh, exactly. Like most people don't know nothing about uh, nothing, and we know nothing about almost everything. Perfect. So yeah, that's um, Maria and Nick. We normally like to ask our guests this before we get into the stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? And, and it doesn't have to be. We've had all varying levels. That of actually answer. made me I, snort. That's how ridiculous that question was. I was like, background in was science. There, was there a class where teach you particularly enjoyed, I, or blowing stuff up in the woods, or? Uh, I went to college for um, nutrition, but I had to drop out of it because I failed chemistry three times. So okay, that I, what did I, you want to do with nutrition? Um, I wanted to be a dietitian. Oh, okay, so but you have to know science. Um, and I, I couldn't I couldn't grasp it, so <laughs> I, I majored in shopping eventually. Just like <laughs> I got a degree in retail merchandising. Oh, welcome to America. Yeah. All right. Well, that's an actual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can become a, bu- a buyer for a company or whatever. Like most of my credits just transferred to that degree, so I was just trying to get out of college and right into stand-up comedy. So, and I did. Did you start doing comedy when you were still a student? No, after. Yeah, it's because retail took up a lot of my time and you know studying hours and stuff. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right, background. I think GCSE, A, I got an A actually. So I got an A at GCSE Science. So uh, that's probably my double A. That's how the system worked. Two yeah. A's. So actually, I actually have quite a strong background in science, it turns out. I've forgotten about that. You're on a par what? with any of our listeners. Is yeah. it double A like an A, a plus? Or what is no, it? it was just two separate A's. I don't know why that was. For it kind of, if, if I remember rightly, it kind of. The dual award, it was known as. Yeah, you could do one of two things. Like you could do. Because I was doing all the science subjects, mm-hmm. I took uh, biology, chemistry, and physics as three separate exams. And so you get a grade in each of them. But if you were going the arts route and you were doing more arts subjects, you still had to do compulsory science. But they did this thing where they kind of combined all three of them into into the one exam, but it was a big exam and it got like a counted for double marks. You got like either a double A or a double B or a double C. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. You got a double A. Yeah, I got a double A and uh, like, nailed it. It was, uh, but I will say I never understood uh, during any science lesson uh, during the two years what was happening at any point. So uh, <laughs> I don't really know how I did that. And I also felt that way about history and got, got an A and I got the third highest grade in the country. It was pathetic. I'm still bursting about this. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> for my, my history A level, third highest grade in the country on that syllabus, and also oh. never knew what was happening for the two years. Uh, English was the only class I understood what was happening in, and that was the only one I ever wanted to do. And no other time did I understand in school what was happening or was listening. So you were so, probably just good at writing essays. Just good at bullshitting, hence now stand-up comedian. Boom, right. there it is. Do you remember any of the essays you had to write for the history test that got you the third highest? Or even what the subjects were? Mm, it was the past. Uh, it was uh, no. It was like civil war. English civil war was a thing. Okay, sixteen uh, forty. <laughs> yeah, mid seventeenth century. Anyway. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Definitely, I remember the topics. Oh, history yeah. of medicine. Yeah, oh, stuff I remember like doing that. history of medicine. Yeah, it's good in it. I think. Yeah. That's sciencey. I had to write a, a history essay for an AP test, American history AP test, uh, and it involved Horatio Alger. And I just basically said in the first paragraph, I don't remember if this is the author of a bunch of things about rags to riches or the character in the books he wrote. So I'm just going to assume whichever one I assume and go forward with the essay from there. <laughs> sort of like, <laughs> just so you know, I'm not an, like, I know it's one of these two, either a character or an author. And I'm pretty sure it's a character. Have you guys heard of Horatio Alger? No, no. I, I haven't. Um, okay, I'm going to pretend like I listened in history. Before I Google it, I, I think it's a character who... I guess, how can you multiple times go rags to riches as a character? You couldn't really. I, I, I think it's some famous thing that's sort of like early 20th century um, archetypical. Are you Googling it now to see if I'm right? I am, but the internet's frozen up. So okay. I, uh, I think I know what it is, but I actually don't. It's one of those things I've heard of, and I wanted to say yes, but then I wouldn't have known anything yeah, else about it. I think it's stories about um, poor kids uh, making good American dream. Okay, I'm going to see if... Um, okay. Oh, no, okay, yes. It makes more sense that he's an author, because how could you have the same character? Okay. It's the author of a lot of uh, young adult fiction novels about impoverished boys and their rise from humble backgrounds to lives of middle-class security. Okay, so I think I assumed author in the... in the. I guess that's why I passed the test. Yeah, okay. You always remember these <laughs> weird, like, one-off... All I remember from history of medicine is, like, the um, history of penicillin. Everyone always says Pasteur, Louis Pasteur came up with it, right? Penicillin. But then oh, I, no, no, wait, wait. Pa- pa- Louis Pasteur was the... Uh, Fleming was penicillin. Louis Pasteur was the uh, germ theory. Really? Yeah, I think. I thought it was penicillin, cause, but actually, a guy called Joseph Lister first discovered it, but couldn't make it into a vaccine. Then I thought it was penicillin. Wait a second. No, no, no. Okay. You're all over Am the place. Am I all over the You're place? You're all over the place. Right. Okay. So List... I got Joseph, an A. Third highest yeah. grade in the country. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, Joseph Lister was... Yeah. Joseph Lister was antiseptics. Oh, antiseptics. That's what I'm talking about. That yeah. one. And then Fleming <laughs> Fleming was uh, penicillin, but that was a lot later. That was in the 1900s. Okay. Um... Uh, hang on, no, hang on. I thought Joseph, I thought Joseph Lister first discovered it, but couldn't turn it into anything. Then it was taken on by either by Pasteur. Then later, it, Howard Florey ended up doing it in the Second World War. What am I talking about? I'm just like it's like a Jeopardy thing. I've gone backwards. I know all the right. people, but I've forgotten. So there were like there were. Th- I remember again. This is my hazy memory. I know there were three people involved in penicillin discovery, and there was him, and there was an Australian guy, and there was a woman. See, I think it was Joseph Lister. Then I think it was Fleming. Or, and then I think it was Howard Florey with his assistant Ernest Chain who got the funding in the Second World War to develop it. I don't Florey know why I'm talking Chain about this. Sounds familiar, and I have no internet. So Andy, uh, what's wrong you. with the internet? It says um, in 1928, Scottish scientist Alexander Fleming discovered it. Um, I'm not seeing. Yeah, that's wrong. I'm not seeing the rest of this uh, ragtag bunch of misfits. Oh, here we go. What was the other names you said? Ernest Chain. Ernest Chain, he was Howard Florey's assistant uh, who got it. They pushed it through during the Second World War because they needed it for the soldiers. Ernest Chain and Howard Florey. Here we go. Okay, yep. Uh, Howard Florey was an Australian pharmacologist and pathologist who shared the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine with, with Chain and Fleming for their role in the discovery of penicillin. Thank you. 
But what they don't mention is that Lister, that even he got like a sense of it even before all of them. He was the first one to sort of find that it might be something, but he sort of went, oh, I don't know what to do with this. But he, you know. I thought it was, I mean, I don't think I'm looking at Wikipedia. I'm saying I know a bit more than the internet on this subject. Oh, wait, there's Ernst Chain and there's Ernest Duchesne that are both involved in penicillin. Interesting. It's the first one. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there was another, I'm sure there was a third or like a fourth person as well. I'm, I could be wrong about this, but I think there was another one of those famous uh, female scientists who got written out of the story just by virtue of... She might have gotten written out of Wikipedia, too. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm completely wrong on this one. I know there was a woman involved in the DNA. We're trying to write Maria out of this podcast with this topic. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was like, she didn't have a good enough lawyer. It was a problem. Yeah, yeah. Also, I was wrong about the dates completely. I was off by like almost 100 years. This uh, The Horatio Alger thing was like mid-1800s. So. Get it together, man. Yeah, I know. It's <sighs> I'm allergic to penicillin. So I just wanted to add in. Anything. What do you have to? Have you? <laughs> did you find that out in a painful way? I can't. I don't know. No, I've known. Them. I just. My parents just always told me. So I'm how, sure. How did they know to tell you? I must. I don't know. I must have almost died at some point. <laughs> but they didn't tell you. Well, they just story. got a hunch. Just like, yeah, I don't even. They know took what you to one of those is. like kind of people who holds penicillin near you and then watches to see if your arms go floppy or not. Right. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much <laughs> in a health food store. Um, Rosalind Franklin is who I was trying to think of who oh, okay. is a uh, but she was DNA she was she was arguably snubbed uh, in the uh, Nobel Prize Watson and Crick Watson Crick and Maurice Wilkins is the other person who got the Nobel Prize but she was responsible for a lot of the x-ray crystallography uh, was part behind the study behind the discovery um, I can't but, wait to share that at parties <laughs> I was going to say something like that I, just, I, would, I held back I was going to say, not a sentence you hear every day, but you probably do on this podcast. That's probably like a standard sentence, isn't it? Is what? Whatever Matt just said. <laughs> I, don't, I can't repeat it. <laughs> in fact, the uh, third... Uh, the, Something the, about the, crystallization. The Stu Sutcliffe know. of DNA was... Uh, <laughs> or Pete Best. Which one's the better fifth beetle or forgotten person? I don't know. There's like a, there's about 30 people so who many. are the fifth beetle. Right, right. There's the... Um, They're the two main ones. Stu Sutcliffe was the guy in, in Backbeat. Stephen Dorff. I never saw that. Oh, that's who played him? Yeah. Oh, maybe I should go watch that. Why, why, am I, why is that swaying me? I'm a big, <laughs> I'm a big Dorf head. Dorf? So well, I go. How have I missed that? <laughs> I've got all the rest of his work. Yeah. I just saw that Dorf post on your wall as well. <laughs> you know, I started smoking those blue e-cigarettes because he looks so cool in Malibu, sho- shoeless with his linen pants and his blue e-cigarette and those ads. You do know a lot about him. <laughs> I just thought that ad was so crazy because it made it seem like we're all, like he's a tastemaker or something, like he's at all relevant, you know? I like, don't think we got that ad. I'm saying we... It's, recent, it's like in the last six months or so, I feel like. Okay, like, but in this country, yeah. I, I don't live in... Okay. In the, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't trying to criticize you for not seeing it, but I was just well, saying like... I felt insulted. <laughs> yeah, it's not some classic. It was just like, okay. hmm, does anybody think that he's relevant enough that we're all like, oh, look at this movie star. That's probably why he's doing an advert though, right? Well, of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was all like about the freedom to like take back... Take back smoking, like they try to tell you not to. Right. We had a couple of stories in this week, uh, sorry, a couple of weeks ago that we didn't get to, but it might still be on the document. A couple of people sent in stories about, about e-cigarettes because there was a story that came out about how they're not as safe as they claim, and then there was always trying to ruin the fun. I know, and then there was another story that someone else linked to in response to that that was like that was someone going, "Well, they are still a hell of a lot safer," and stop being down on e-cigarettes. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, cause the argument was sound in that if you're going 
like pound for pound, a smoky cigarette is a lot worse for your health than an e-cigarette. I but. I, Go ahead. No, but I was going to say, but if you're smoking them a lot more, which is what's starting to happen, because e-cigarettes are becoming a lot more acceptable to do indoors, places that you can't smoke indoors anywhere in California and in a lot of, loads of other places, but you can smoke e-cigarettes, and people are having them when they wouldn't necessarily be smoking a cigarette. They might hold off and only have a couple a day, and instead they're chaining e-cigarettes now. Yeah, I have no much, I have no idea how much nicotine I take in, because I vape. But right. I just no, because I'm just doing it all day. Were you previously a smoker? Yes. Yeah. And so, so are like, you a hundred percent e-cigarette now? For the most part, sometimes I'll drink and have a cigarette, but but yeah, I don't smoke anymore. I haven't bought a pack since like last week. It's not that impressive, but for the most <laughs> part, I don't smoke anymore. But and yeah, but I'll vape in the morning. I never smoked in the morning. I always just smoked, kind of like uh, you know, happy hour time and on. Right. But, and this, yeah. is, I think this is a thing. That thing I can't find the links now, but the thing either, that. Yeah. Um, a listener sent in that's like don't be down on e-cigarettes they're a lot more safe than normal cigarettes but there seems to now be a lot of stories of people like you who are doing something far less dangerous but a hell of a lot more but I don't think what's supposed to be dangerous about the vape is it because some people are saying that the juice the flavor in the juice is what gives what causes cancer Uh, I think it's also the propellant or whatever it's called, whatever the thing that it's dissolved in. But they're in. not saying it's the nicotine itself. It's definitely something about the delivery. So, yeah, so it doesn't really matter system. how much nicotine I'm taking in. Mm. I still think vaping is a lot safer. I'm just going to say that with it's, total confidence, not knowing anything about it, but it's just obvious. It seems like it must be. Yeah, yeah. it just how seems could it that not way. Be? Yeah, I mean, I guess you got it. With all these things, you kind of have to compare, like, for a given amount of buzz or whatever. It's like, because, yeah, like pot. Pot smoke is also bad for you, but you nobody smokes like a pack of joints, you know, in a, in a night or a day. And if you did, it'd be probably even worse. St- Stephen Dorff does, but, but he's he's free. <laughs> he just doesn't give a damn, you know. Yeah, like it's not like pot's good for you. It's just people who smoke it don't smoke like they're. I'm against. Smoking. Where can you where can you vape inside? I'm I, I haven't don't most found bars that place let you? No, 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 starting you can't to vape inside. Huh? They're starting to stop letting you, but they were when vaping first was a thing pretty much everywhere yeah well when i was in uh, europe or the uk when I, like they they were they were vaping inside it was like not a thing but i was like why do you guys get to do that yeah we're still vaping inside in london yeah well, not me I personally I, I deplore it but <laughs> <laughs> i just hate the word i mean it's just vaping? Like, yeah. it just sounds like the douchiest word doesn't it just, i just need to go vape don't you have to say bro after after you say vape every time? Isn't yeah. like an obligation to follow vaping with bro? There is a gig um, in the Inland Empire that is in a vaping lounge. Ugh. Oh, <laughs> just the word. <laughs> Two completely just, different reactions. Call it something else. What, what, do we, what would that, you rather call it? I don't even what know. Good... You, you don't hate when th- it doesn't make you cringe when you hear someone talk about vaping as a thing. It just I, as the sound of the word, something about I don't know what it is. Yeah. No, I don't have a negative reaction to it, but I do, I do, I, I have like a, my, my vape is ridiculous looking and like a true detective said that when people vape, they look like they're blowing a robot. And so now that's all I can think about. Right. Like I can't do it in public, what but you call it like steam huffing, steam huffing yeah. is great. That sounds <laughs> steam huffing. You huff that sounds steam? like the thing like Gwyneth Paltrow was trying to get girls to do to their vaginas <laughs> Wait, what <laughs> she's like trying to get every girls like to start steaming their vaginas like to like that was a thing was really a thing. Oh. Yeah, but then big gynecologists were like don't, don't steam your vagina dr goop is not yeah an authority on this yeah that was a that was an internet that was a thing on the internet for about a week oh i missed that about a year ago yeah steam vaginas it was a 
She's like, you can put herbal essences in there and just steam your vagina. How do you, what's the actual like device you use to do it? It's pretty much uh, what you'd think. Like, like you kettle? sort of sit on this thing you, in a. I have no you image. Just turn so an iron upside down and stand over <laughs> it. <laughs> it looks, it looks like a sort of in a spa, so like a kind of health spa seat, but that's also like a toilet seat that you sit on, but raised on a platform, and steam comes you up. You know a lot about this, yeah. I, was, I, I, I remember who did a. <laughs> someone did a thing. Some it might have been Whitney Cummings and. Yeah, you yeah. sit on, on essentially what's a, a mini throne and a combination of infrared and mugwort a steam throne cleanses is what they call your... Sarah Tiana. There we go. It was Sarah Tiana was the other one. A friend of the show, Sarah Tiana. For your royal badge. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So, so they, they went and did it? Yeah, here's a... Is there a picture? Here's a picture of them doing it. Okay. That is a throne. Yeah, and, you know... See, but, like, it's I don't supposed know, to it... have an opposite effect. It's not... Well, it look happy. have a desired effect. Well, Yeah. <laughs> Look at that room. Like women really like just. It's a very go nice spa type room. There's delicate lighting and velvet. They're they're covered in velvet. Was this a thing women were encouraging or rebelling against? Because isn't it one of those things like, oh, well, now happens, I have to steam my vagina. What happens when you like steam new... your vagina is like you create a lot of um, fun culture for yeasts and other overgrowths to oh, like okay. so. That's why gynecologists, I think, is something like that. Like, yeah. like don't steam your vagina. That's just. But I think in cause... general it's one of those things like de- like every variety of detoxing where scientists will tell you hey you know the body is actually pretty good at dealing with all this shit itself and right if yeah. you just live a relatively healthy lifestyle all of that stuff comes out of like you like colonics anyhow. the sort of myth of yeah. colonic irrigation yeah. being totally scientifically bereft right yeah and in fact quite a lot of the bacteria in there is good for you which brings us to a story yeah this one was sent in by multiple listeners as would be expected this is actually <laughs> a, the latest in a line of we've talked about things related to this a fair amount on on the podcast um, human trials will test freeze-dried poop pills as a weight loss treatment. And uh, we, we talked about people doing fecal transplantation to change the, uh, the, the makeup of their gut bacteria, but, but this version of it is new. So if you want to lose weight, a new diet or gym membership sounds a whole lot better than consuming someone else's poop and pill form. That's exactly what method researchers are about to investigate in a clinical trial that's been approved for later this year. So yeah, there's strong evidence that feces is good for, your, for the microbiome environment inside our guts. Reports have shown that in some situations, poop pills are actually more effective than antibiotics. And now there's some strong demand for healthy body waste if you're interested in parting with some for a bit of cash. Uh, The controlled randomized trial starts this year and it'll be run by researchers at the Massachusetts General Hospital based on research that suggests bacteria from donor excrement can fight infections that have become rooted in the digestive system of the recipient. They'll be testing if poop pills could be a viable treatment option for weight loss in the future. Who's poop? I get really skinny enough. people. Really skinny, pure people. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow's like, poop is probably the like... ego on this person? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I got to donate my poop to help my save the world. My shit is medicinally right. clean. I'm literally You think your shit don't like, stink? Oh, my shit is freeze-dried and put into pills and people eat it. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think this could be a really good thing, which I already knew about, but I didn't know about the weight loss... Like, I knew about it in terms of health and sorting out your gut flora. It's always a bit demeaning when it always gets attached to weight loss, and then people are suddenly interested. Well, yeah, but I think people blame, want to find... That that makes it sound accusatory. Um, (laughs) I'm going to backpedal what I was going to say. They they, have found links between, like, your gut flora and and your body's... uh, 
in your metabolism essentially or your your right. the way that you put on weight or pass things through without I'm totally in favor of the pill because you know they used to have to do you maybe you covered this before since you said you mentioned it before but they used to, used to have to do a tube that they would funnel it in transplant which yeah. actually sounds kind of preferable because I was scanning the article no, to make doesn't. sure I didn't misread this <laughs> what you're saying you'd rather swallow shit than have shit stuck up your ass hang on isn't the pill you just yeah you swallow the pill but yeah, yeah, but they used to filter it in, yeah, on a big tube. Yeah, that's what Oh, worse. no, no, no. I, I thought they used to do transplantation of feces up. They put right. shit up your butt. <laughs> I thought, did the tube definitely go up your bum and not in, I guess it must I think have, it'd yeah. be too dangerous to have go in your to mouth go through it. the that's, whole way. That's why I thought this is also bad for you. I don't know how this doesn't um, affect, I don't know how they control for like the bad bacteria that makes poop dangerous to eat as we all. <laughs> As we all learned from two girls, That's one cup, it doesn't stay down very long. Right? right? Was there was there something bad that happened to those two girls? No, they were fine. They, just had, they had a cup. They had a good time. <laughs> Enjoyed each other's company. They're actually in fact, um, their gut floor is actually perfect right now. They're actually the co-authors of this study. And <laughs> so yeah, they they uh, take bacteria from a stool transplant from a healthy, lean person to a person with obesity. Um, and yeah, poop samples from lean and healthy donors will be freeze-dried and then given to 21 obese patients during the course of the trial. There's a growing belief that this kind of treatment could help with weight loss and variable, various other metabolic disorders, but so far we only have a few animal studies and some anecdotal evidence in humans to go off of. So this should give us more information about the potential of, of the humble poop pill. Eat shit and prosper. Eat shit and live. <laughs> right, yeah. It really is... Uh, like I was scanning the article, like I was saying, to make sure it wasn't like a suppository pill, but it does seem like you actually do eat this shit. How well, much? How long do you think it would take you to take this pill, knowing what it is? How long? Like, what? What would you have to? What do you mean? I don't know if I would have to like down it with whiskey or just knowing it's shit, somebody else's shit, some superhuman shit. That it I actually just, comes with whiskey. So. <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think it would take me a long time I'd to like it. not vomit it back up. Yeah, the idea of it. Like, if you've had a lot of stomach issues, you'd, you'd be prepared to do it. Not, I don't know about for weight loss, but if you've had a lot of issues, would you go? I think you'd be prepared to try anything. I think yeah. you'd do it. I'm just saying, it in the second person, I would. I'd probably do it. I think my weight loss would come from just like the vomiting part. Right. <laughs> just thinking <laughs> That's about how it works. Is just thinking about eating stuff. poo so you yeah. can't even eat yeah. food anymore. Yeah. Right. It does say you're also you're in this article. You're meant to take twenty of them a day. Twenty. For a, you have to no. do it yourself. No. <laughs> oh, okay. We all believed you there. You got such authority. But this was sent in by how many different people sent this in? Many, many people. <laughs> many people emailed us probably science at gmail.com. For some reason, they thought. For some this reason, they thought our, this might be the yeah. kind of sh- story that gets in the air. I don't know why. I don't know what specifically about. Justin Broad sent it, and Tom so did. Drummond sent it, and a few others. Oh yeah, there were more than two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys. You know us very well. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, what, how bad a condition would have to be before I would take a poop pill. Like if if I had a cold, and they're like, we have a poop, we have a cold cure. It's poop based. You're going to have like a three day cold, or a poop pill. I'd do it for a stub toe. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, I would do it for weight loss. It would just take a while to get over the uh, just the thought of it. Right. Well, this is. And f- then, does it affect your breath? No. Oh. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing. It's, it's also so definitive with you. Every- <laughs> no, it absolutely. <laughs> no, I've tried it. Matt's done everything. He's steamed his vagina. He's taken poop. He's, he's speaking with a lot of authority. But there's now. been a lot of these stories, and it does seem to be more and more that like, the gut flora has more of an effect on your physiology than they previously thought. Yeah, I think it's huge. I've had like IBS for much since I was a teenager. I think it got for us huge. And also the enteric brain everyone's on about these days. Like the gut has its own, it's practically its own brain, isn't it? 
stop me if you, any scientists saying? are listening. Oh, but, um, I like this theory. Let's go. Well, it yeah. got, it's called the entire brain. You know, the gut's going to... My theory is the gut's going to be more and more important. We're going to find out more and more... Cause, you know, people talk about going with their gut, and that's like a real thing. Do you remember Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah, sort <laughs> yeah. of like Quato from Total Recall. Yeah. <laughs> What are you on about, mate? Yeah, you're right. who lives in yeah. your stomach. And, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, he's a little sort of yeah brain. He's that's what he is. He's a little stomach brain in the yeah. I think that's going to be. I think that's. I think he's Krang is you know a, a sign we should be following. We're going to elect. <laughs> that's going to be like the dark horse Republican. That's who's going to get the nomination. It's not going to be Trump. It's going to be some like stomach Krang. monster. Someone lifts up his shirt. Maybe Krang is I telling it, Trump what to do. I don't know. I um, give it three three more election cycles before America is electing a stomach <laughs> monster. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I just mean that we're more and more going to realize that the brain is not what it's all about. The the stomach enteric brain has got a lot to offer. You know, intuition, all that stuff. Uh, serotonin is produced there. So when you're depressed, it's usually due to a lack of serotonin, which is produced in the gut, I think. Hmm. Uh, and it's more and more study. They even showed the autistic kids when they were given probiotics. Uh, their condition improved. Then someone else told me that wasn't true, but there's always, you always find someone. No, I've, say heard, that. I've heard people talk about autism, and, and I'm not saying it's been proven, but I've heard that that chatter about uh, autism and gut flora. Yeah, I don't know because that was. How about gut fauna though? Like I wanna... little horsies, yeah, <laughs> sheep that live in. There. I want to check that out because that was uh, a connection between stomach stuff and autism was one of the things that. Um, Awful human asshole. <laughs> Jenny McCarthy? No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> but someone uh, in that camp. Now I'm blanking on his name. The, yeah. the doctor who was. No, Wakefield, no. yes. What's Andrew Wakefield, okay. who was the doctor behind the massive MMR vaccine autism fraud. Uh, like he was the scientist who wrote the fraudulent paper that's now been proven to be fraudulent, struck off from the medical register, and still he gets cited as the scientist behind it. Uh, and the. Yeah, and he was investigating something about stomach. Okay. Uh, Which doesn't bacteria. mean it's impossible. It's but it, just, does, it, uesh, it doesn't, doesn't mean that there isn't. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't mean that that link is impossible. But I don't know whether there has been a link that's been suggested by someone who isn't a massive murderous fraudster. <laughs> right. Um, but it's it's the same thing with like with antibiotics. There, which they, that kills all the good bacteria as well, doesn't it? And people have only just realised you've got to give out probiotics if you're going to take antibiotics. They used to think that that counteracted the good effects, but now they say no, it doesn't. So now people recommend probiotics if you're taking a course of antibiotics because you're killing all the good stuff. That's what antibiotics basically means anti-life, right? right. So yeah. so you need to. So I think you know more and more is being found out about gut flora being a big deal. There is so a, I, w- I think poo pills are the future. There is a study. Uh, I believe Here's a paper from the California Institute of Technology that says autism spectrum disorder is diagnosed when individuals exhibit characteristic behaviors, decrease social interactions, and impair communication. Curiously, many with ASD also suffer from gastrointestinal is- issues like abdominal cramps and constipation. Guided by this co-occurrence of brain and gut problems, researchers are investigating a bacterium that alleviates GI and behavioral symptoms in autistic-like mice, introducing a potentially transformative probiotic therapy for autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders. So yeah, it looks like it's not just Andrew Wakefield who is behind that. It looks like there might be some kind of connection that's legit. Um, hey, th- here's a mathematical sto- or mathematical-ish story that I liked. It's a kind of story of... Um, I-, I like counterintuitive... Um, problem-solving things. Mm-hmm. So we both live in London, or did at one yeah. point or another, and you've <laughs> spent a lot of time in London as well, Maria. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll be aware as a visitor to London, and I presume a user of the London Underground, the Tube, 
that any visitor slash foreigner slash stranger who stands on the left-hand side of the escalator is pretty much murdered instantly by a horde <laughs> of commuters. Like, that's the deal. You stand on the right, you walk on the left. Absolutely. And anyone who doesn't do that is a monster on a par with the worst dictators. Yeah, I agree with that as a Londoner. And uh, yeah, I, I find myself walking past those people saying things like, like what the f-? like just swearing at, you know, out loud, <laughs> yeah. just in so much anger instantly. <laughs> just in, yeah. person who's first probably no spending their first yeah. time in this city and has yeah. not a Yeah, I'm like, you, that's disgusting. Like, I'm disgusted by <laughs> that. Yeah. So... Uh, I've been body slammed like so many times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little person, but I am walking the wrong way and on my phone a lot of the time. So like, <laughs> they just have no problem body slamming me to show me that I'm very wrong. Yeah, I hate to say it, but they, they're doing the right thing. Uh, <laughs> I've started doing it. Even if someone's slightly out on the right, you know, they're meant to be on the right. Even if they're half out now, that's the thing that really bothers me now. I'm like, why should I squeeze myself, contort myself to get past someone who's half out? Now I'll just, I'll hit them. I'll just go straight into them. I'll go, you know, up the left. And if they're in my path, there will be a collision, right? But that's right. their problem. That's not my problem. So now I'm just hitting them. That's Wait, did I'm you doing. say that your passing lane would be the left? Yes. On the escalator, but yeah. But our passing lane is the left. Right, so shouldn't I you know guys it, be the opposite? I know. We do... St- we The escalator etiquette is opposite to road to driving ah. for some reason. But that's what but it wait. is. In the- I just realized I sounded like a psycho then. In London, <laughs> everyone's just going, yeah, he's totally right. You look you <laughs> like, that's a bit weird. In no, London, no. Like, yeah. I was only making it look because the, what, what, we're, what Matt's about to get into is, uh, is yeah. sort okay. of counterintuitive. So London okay. um, Underground is a very busy uh, public transport system. It had 4.8 million passengers on the 4th of December last year, just on a single day. Uh, it's a great day. <laughs> which is, that's a lot of people. Um and they had they ran an experiment based on the suggestion from a mathematician. Uh, one escalator, uh, 11,000 people got off at Hoban Station between 8.30 and 9.30 a.m. Mm. Uh, they faced an unusually severe provocation as they turned into the concourse at the bottom of the station's main route out and looked up, uh, which is a very large escalator. Uh, people were standing on the left, dozens of them. And it was for a very good reason. Um, I'm, I'm jumping through the story... But they did a little study, and they worked out that having people stand on the right and walk on the left, while it does enable a small proportion of speedy commuters to power through, that's a very big escalator. Not many people actually walk up the length of that escalator. I do. I do. I do as well. (laughs) Uh, I do as well. But um, doing so almost halves the capacity of the escalator. It makes sense. You're just wasting. It's kind of like when cars don't, um, when cars like queue up in a lane a mile ahead of their exit when there are still three other unused lanes. Like, no, use all the lanes until, until the last and second in. and zipper in at the end. Otherwise, you're not even taking advantage of the existence of those lanes. Um, yeah. So um, normally uh, on this escalator, escalators can theoretically accommodate 81.25 people per minute with people commuters standing on the right. Uh Hoban escalators are 23.41 meters high, so many people don't walk on the left-hand side, creating a bottleneck at the bottom, which is also something you notice on the tubes. There's a huge bottleneck, so actually, mm. even if you are a walker, even if you are someone who powers up the escalators, you have to wait for a bottom, wait for a while at the bottom in this huge throng just to get to that point where no, you can No, no, you walking. also push past at the bottom. That's how you right. do it. <laughs> just climb over them like there's yeah, a fire. Man. But that's if you're a pusher, and if you're a stander, you're waiting in line for the tiny single file standing line yeah. when yeah. most people are standers yeah um, so so by standing on the left as well around 
112.5 people per minute could use the escalators. So the bottleneck is reduced by 31 and a quarter people per minute. Uh, Paul Stoneman, one of Harrison's colleagues, Harrison was the main guy behind this, uh, did some preliminary calculations and he found out that there, yeah, there'll be an increase of 28% uh, capacity on the on this escalator. Uh, and it took a while to make this kind of happen. At first, they were going to have people uh, in uniform standing on the left, and then they thought they might get hurt by people. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. So instead, they went for encouragement. They had teams of staff standing at the bottom with loud hailers, asking commuters as cheerfully as possible if they wouldn't mind standing on both sides. And they had plain clothes plants. So they had, like, undercover uh, staff uh, going up the escalators, blocking the way on the left-hand side. To create a new sort of social pressure. Uh, See, here's the thing. I would... uh, If that were the situation, I I completely agree with the mathematics of it, and they're 100% right. I would still say, if that were happening, once you're actually on the escalator, though... If there are gaps, fill them you in. Sh- fill them in, and also zigzag. I like. I I will then zigzag and loop around people, and try to get people. Like once once you've already got onto the escalator and it's moving, then that capacity is taken up, and then you might as well move in if there is space to move in mm-hmm. and allow people to pass. And there are usually stairs next to the escalators, so if you're really ambitious, you could just stairs are for walking, escalators are for standing. Now. There are sometimes stairs. Yeah, yeah, that is really interesting. The maths of it. The problem with it is it's catering to the weak. Because then, what about the <laughs> what about the few people the, that wanted to walk? They still can't, so well, they still lose out. That's what I'd like to see that study. So it does it, it helps everyone on the whole a little bit. But the person who would have walked, yeah, are they slightly hindered? Or are they still better off yeah, because is, of the lack of the bottom? Is this a socialist bottom? idea where a few people are slightly slowed for the greater good? Not to get all Ayn Rand here, but uh, why why must you hold back society's (laughs) great walkers? That's like the the escalators where I get most of my Fitbit steps in, and like I have to win those challenges. So, oops, do we not have Fitbits? (laughs) No, what's tell us about your Fitbit? I assume everybody has a Fitbit. I know about it, but I don't know about challenges. You have friends that you like compare. You you compare, like yeah, and uh, whoever has the most steps. Uh, wins literally nothing. What's (laughs) what's a good day step wise? Um, I think ten thousand steps is the goal. Uh, and I sometimes I, I hit that. What am I at right now? I'm at 9,413. What'd you do today? I went hiking. Oh, okay. That seems like a lot of steps. Yeah. I don't know. It might be. Is that all that it does, or does it also work as a watch? Oh, it's also a watch. Okay. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and is it also one of those sleep meters that tells you what your sleep patterns are? Like, yeah, it does, on... but I don't think it's accurate. Oh, okay. And so. it's also a laser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, I don't think I understand the math of how you get more people on the escalator. Is it's, that dumb Look at me? the picture. Here, look at I this didn't want to like, slow diagram. this conversation and, and down. Oh, always feel free to visit, slow the conversation down because you're missing probably, stuff other listeners will as well. Visit probablyscience.com to see a link to the article. It has a great graphical explanation. Basically, when you only have one side that's standing, you have this entire... Le- it's just at a given time, there are way fewer people actually on the escalator because you're not using both sides. And then everyone's bottling up because they're yeah. waiting to get in that one line instead of two lines. If you sort of imagine... Um, the old system where people are walking up the left-hand side. But so um, what if everybody was just walking up? If they all agreed to walk, it's even better. Yeah. But most people, up. many people can't walk up, or so many maybe people don't want to. What, what, what the rule should be is walk until you can't walk anymore if you want to walk. Or if you're standing, <laughs> stand on both sides, but that's too long to say. Because yes, also fill in forward as much as you can, and that'll help things. But there's no more lane designations. It's just use everything in front of you however you can. And if you wanted to walk... 
and you can't walk, fuck you. You have to just deal with the fact that everyone's it. better off. It's going to be on one sign, small print, but everything I've been saying is just on one sign at the bottom of the... Yeah. I love that walk until you can't walk anymore. Right. Walk until you can't walk. Yeah. That is getting randy in there, isn't it? <laughs> some escalators for walking and the other escalators are for standing. Um, problem solved. I mean, they, you, that you is actually suggested in one of these in the story. They do actually say in some cases where that is the case, it might be best to have one where. So then you're reducing capacity by a quarter potentially. Um, it also says in here that in Washington D.C., passengers who stand on the wrong side are called escalumps. <laughs> Those cute people. Um, <laughs> I, I I love I, bottlenecking is why I walk up the escalator. It's like incentive to get into the line that's moving. So you're in favor of bottlenecking because it gives you a goal. I mean, yeah, it's just like oh, I can wait to get on the escalator and stand. Wait, what's the logic? Or, you said you, you well, like- because they're they're bottleneck. They're like they're waiting to get on so that they can stand. And it's just like well, I don't want to wait in line. But sometimes at be- rush hour in London, the bottleneck gets so great that you can't even get into the you can't even get around the edge. I you're see. just yeah. you just yeah. flocks yeah. up the entire bottom of the. Yeah, I like oh, to keep, right, okay. but I'm with you as far as like, I'd rather be moving even if it means I don't even get there faster just because I'll feel... I'm totally with you on yeah. that one. Yeah, like yeah. in traffic, the same thing. Like, the, I'll take side streets, it'll take me 10 minutes longer, but I'll be moving the whole time. So yeah, I feel less, it's definitely more pleasing to be moving slowly, constantly than it is to be stopping. For yeah, it's you're frustrated and, and it's better for your fitness to move, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so maybe the unintended one. consequence of this will be a gradual loss of L- London's fitness levels. Yeah. Yeah. Which will then result in even slower movements because suddenly there'll be people with sort of deep vein thrombosis. What if at, we, okay, what if yeah. as you're entering so the escalator... a bigger strain on your health system. Yeah. yeah. As you and the lack of the can-do attitude will just lead to a decline in the economy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> A, a yeah. nation of standards will, you know, come about. We'll we'll, we'll start making <laughs> growing fewer vegetables. Exactly, and we'll lose the war effort. Yeah, I was going to say we'll lose our manufacturing, but that already happened. So uh, <laughs> this sounds like a Huxleyan dystopia to me, or maybe it's the wrong author. I don't know. But what if everyone, as they're getting on the escalator, is given a single freeze dried poop pill? <laughs> but who's poop? Can you elect the person who's poop? It's the person in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> There's a conveyor system just gets freeze- frozen very quickly. It's Eat shit and stand on the escalator. So more hygienic centipede. Yeah, I was thinking that a massive human centipede. Freeze dry their placentas. I've heard. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. You're supposed to. You're supposed to like have. Yeah, you keep in your freezer. Then on your first anniversary, you have you each have a bite, right? Or is that wedding I didn't, cake? What? I haven't heard of this <laughs> ritual. <laughs> it's confused wedding cake and placentas. It's like best birthday ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, isn't placenta supposed, supposed to, to have your hair and nails and right? It's like a, it's like a big omelet, right? It's just like a lot of protein, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's basically eggs. That's what eggs are. Eggs are just. Yeah, eggs yeah. are placenta. Wait, which part is the yolk the placenta? You just have the sound of a man desperately trying to justify himself. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you think about it, everyone who's calling me weird on the internet can just... <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing I did is all abnormal. I hey, stand by all of it. Hey, Andy, do you have a story for us? Uh, I have a couple. Cool. Um, the best of which might be... Should we do the finger trap correction? Or... Oh, yeah, the, we had a couple corrections also. Corrections or clarifications. <laughs> um, yeah, we always love it when people email in to probablyscience at gmail.com or tweet us at probablyscience with... Things we've got wrong, or just just e- expanding on things we've already talked about. Yeah, and we talked about Chinese finger cuffs for some reason a couple weeks ago, and I was like, there must be some medical use for those. It seems like a thing that would be useful 
in you know like stents or st- whatever those are called um and Richard Faust wrote in to say there is a medical use for Chinese finger cuffs. Um, 17 years ago, his son broke his online radius while rollerblading, and the bones were displaced by the accident. And where and are the owner of the, uh, the ulnar for, radius? Are they forearm. both the forearm? Yeah. They're the upper and lower bit of the forearm. Tibia and fibula legs and online radius are arms. What's the upper part of the, the arm? humerus? There we go. Um, this is all I know about anatomy. Uh, so yeah, the, the bones were out of place, and to align them, the orthopedist put the three middle fingers of that hand in the woven steel version of Chinese finger cuffs. He then yarded on his elbow to pull the bones down enough to make the broken ends align again, <laughs> which seems like the most painful thing imaginable. Uh, once they yeah, were when aligned, it's like a medical procedure that involves just yanking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, all right, you just run into that <laughs> wall as hard as you just can. When you look at like orthopedic surgeons' tools, they're just carpenters' tools. Yeah. It's like a, there's a circular saw and it's hammers. Like, <laughs> yeah, there is, there is a bit of... Um, there are to- tools in surgery. I, also, if you're a sort of heart surgeon, you've got to get through the... Yeah, you have a circular saw that just cuts plate. through the chest plate. Right? There is a it's, point where it's just like elbow grease, just yeah. getting up and just soaring and just chiseling. Oh yeah, I've, I've watched surgery shows. Like, yeah, we'll just keep pushing on this. If it breaks, we'll fix it later. Like, like oh, what? Um, uh, so then, yeah. Once they were lying, the cast was applied, and then his fingers were easily removed from the cuffs. So the magic of the Chinese finger cuffs allowed an easy and non-invasive method of securing his hand, while the orthopod, which I'd never heard a doctor referred to as, virtually stood on the other end of his arm. I'm gonna guess that was meant to say orthopedist, and autocorrect changed it to orthopod. That sounds like I a could be wrong. deep sea creature. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Like, here we go. Let's find out if that was right. What do you guys think? Is orthopod a word? What's the What's your bet? Um, yeah, yes. it's a, yeah. It's I've I studied orthopod right before retail merchandising. Uh, he, I was wrong. It's a word. It's definitely a word, and it means an orthopedist. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you. But it's slang. Fast. Apparently, it's slang. Oh, okay. That's the slang. Doctor yeah. by nicknames. That's when they're just getting crazy. I know. They like, Yo, orthopods, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we got a bunch more listeners uh, sending in. Actually, this, this article was sent in by two listeners as well. It turns out uh, you guys know it's cold and flu season. If you haven't taken your poop pills, you might be under the weather. Um, and it turns out that man flu is a real thing. Hmm. Uh, a study found that estrogen protects women but not men against the flu virus. Yeah, one of the flu season's greatest mysteries has been why illnesses strike men 50,000 times harder than they do women. This is uh, details.com. Thanks for the uh, hyperbole details. Causing agonizing pain and crippling dependency on compassionate gestures from female companions. Well, it turns out there's a scientific justification for presenting with the aforementioned symptoms, at least for sufferers of actual influenza. Man flu is real. And everything is awful. Again, this is courtesy of details.com. Should have picked a different source on this. There's the IFL science. There's always that. Is that also one has a version of that story that was sent in by another listener. Uh, no, don't know what the IFL stands for, but we'll I don't find either. out one day. We'll Some, find out. Sometime, yeah. So the so, claim used to be that it was to do with pain thresholds, so now that's been thrown out. Well, actually, that's been debunked as well. Like Men actually have a higher pain threshold than women. Boom. I knew it. Yeah, it's not really... Um, <laughs> it's just is true. Why, is it's, that why we're so much better at wars? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is all, all, all thanks to men lacking estrogen, which has an antiviral effect against the influenza A virus, commonly known as the flu. Um, this was a study published in the American Journal of Physiology, Lung, Cellular, and Molecular Physiology. The study involved exposing nasal cells from male and female donors and found that estrogen reduced flu virus reputation in female cells only. This means women really do have a superhuman genetic shield, which allows them to feel the disease less strongly. 
It's because we have to take care of everybody. Yeah, you guys got to stay healthy for the babies and whatnot. Um, other studies have shown that estrogens have antiviral properties against HIV, which I didn't know, Ebola, and hepatitis viruses, explained lead researcher Sabra Klein, PhD of Johns Hopkins University. And what made this study unique is twofold. First, they conducted it primarily on cells, or no, they conducted it using primary cells directly isolated from patients, allowing them to directly identify the sex-specific effects of estrogen and second, it's the first study to identify the estrogen receptor responsible for the antiviral effects of estrogens. So yeah. it's uh, kind of cool. So I wonder so if if you start taking, could you like take one of those? You know, it says specifically and- for women, though. It said, uh, yeah, the uh, we pronounce them estrogen, so I'm going to just do that. Go for it. Uh, that are used for treating infertility and menopause may also protect against the flu. Uh, but it won't do anything for men. So there's never going to be like a NyQuil plus estrogen. Uh, well, there might be for women. Right. But not for not for dudes. You can't kind of go like, well, my flu's gone and I got boobs. <laughs> <laughs> when is anything ever going to go our way, right? <laughs> Why can't women men just get a break? have it too I easy. I know. It's good to be a woman. Have you had a flu recently? No, I haven't had a flu since like, I feel like... It's been at least five years. Do you get the shot every winter? No. No, I just don't get the flu. I get the shot. Really? (laughs) Yeah. How much is it? Free. What? If you've got certain health... It depends on your health insurance, but if you've got... Also, I think certain clinics do, but my health insurance gives a free... Mm. For for a mere 300 a month. Yeah. One free vaccination. Uh, But yeah, I do it. You just go into... Is that something where you want to cash in on it, even if it's... Because often people say the flu shot's not actually good for you, but you just you want to get your money's worth. I think... No, I think the flu shot is generally... It's not always effective, and it varies... Because there are different strains of flu, and my understanding is at the beginning of the flu season, the various doctors get together and scientists, and they just make the best guess they can as to which strains are going to be the serious ones that year. It's and, like, for some reason, I'm picturing whatever group gets together and decides the... Um, the colors for a season like is it, there are fashion people that actually get to, there's a cabal like they actually What's do dictate what season? the yeah. it's gonna be a lot of autumn colors yeah. and we're gonna be a lot of uh stream b flu but they yeah so last year they they got it a bit wrong and it turned out they sort of they missed out on a couple of the strains but even still it does give you a reduced chance of getting flu and also means that if you do still get flu, it reduces the symptoms. So it's oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah, so it's if you do get flu, it's not as shitty and it doesn't last as long. Hmm. But I never know. I don't know how everyone acts like it's intuitive to know whether you have a cold or the flu. Uh, I've had flu once in my life, and I knew. But what does that mean? Like, like you just like I've never felt that ill from what I thought at first was a cold. Yeah. It was it wasn't just so a cold you have you know you have a headache and you have a blocked nose and you have a temperature and stuff like that and you feel shitty. But the flu I had I had nausea, I could barely move my eye like I could I had open that my kind yeah. as a kid that I would throw up, but I've definitely had it as an adult but not with stomach symptoms. Oh, it was I just like I just felt like someone was kicking me repeatedly in the body. <laughs> like it was just, it was horrible. But it's not like a thing where you can conclusively say, like, because there's a fever, it's a flu and not a cold, or because it's just like, does it feel really shitty? Like, really shitty? Then it's yes? Like, that's, Well, I mean, they are different viruses. There are tests that they can do medically, but, like, I... That was... It was one of those little realizations where I was like, oh, that... It's like the first time I had a real hangover. Right. <laughs> you just know. You just know, is what you're saying. Kind of, yeah. Like, yeah. Just, just did like you, love. You just know. I didn't have a proper hangover until I was in my 20s. 
I don't know about you, but I... No, the I very had, first time I drank, I got... Uh, really? At five... Because um, I had times where the next day I was sick, I was nauseous, and I felt yeah. kind of cruddy. But then there was a point in my 20s where I just woke up and my head was pounding and I could barely move. And I was like, oh, that's why people on TV who have hangover are acting like that. <laughs> like, it just made sense. It was like, oh, I, now I get it. That's why that... It's like the first time... I saw stars from something, from, like, banging my head. Oh, right. And I was like, oh, that's why they do that in the cartoons. That's why That's why Looney Tunes has that when someone bangs his head. It's like, <laughs> oh, he gets the thing circling around him because that's what you... Ah, okay. Now I get it. And it was like that. In my mid-twenties, I was just suddenly like, oh, I've never actually had a real hangover. I just felt shit. What I was it that pushed you over the edge this time? I think it was dehydration. But also, I think... I don't know. I think, I think my physiology older, changed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because my hangovers weren't that bad in like high school, college. We would just drink and then drink again the next day, and like you, it was fine. It wasn't yeah. until like I got a little older and my hangovers just became just detrimental to anything I did. And I don't know whether that's a known thing, whether that is actually a proven thing. But I'm, but- I'm certain. I, I now will if I get drunk, I will semi regularly have a hangover that's on the par with that one when I never got them into my mid twenties, and I definitely. Do you always get hangovers if you drink. No, 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 no. I mean, like I. I rarely, when I do get a hangover, like I have had several hangovers and I'll have like a f- two or three hangovers a year that are as bad as that one, maybe. And I definitely drink less now on average than I did in the years leading up to that first one. Right. Well, like when I was a student or whatever. It sounds like you need to cut down, mate. To yeah. an <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like I, as drinking less in general. Do you want to talk about why are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the other podcast. <laughs> According to NBCNews.com, this is from um, just about two years ago. Hangovers really do get worse as we get older, and they know why. I'm trying to skim this real quick to see if I can. Yeah, I've, I'm on the same article oh, as well now, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. I don't. We, I don't need to know that the word for medical term for hangover is uh, vasalgia. Vis, which is from the Norwegian word kvase, which means uneasiness following debauchery. Okay. Well, maybe I didn't need to know that. Now I'm happier that I know that. <laughs> you know, you've learned two words. Or, yeah, what was the other word? Orthopod. Orthopod, yeah. You go and get hammered with a bunch of orthopedists and really impress them. <laughs> so there aren't a lot of, according to this article. What's up, my orthopod? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, many factors appear to be involved in worsening of hangover in old age. One is that the liver capacity to cope with the toxicity of acetaldehyde which is one of the chemicals that alcohol gets broken down into uh, decreases as we get old uh, it's directly detoxified in the liver by an antioxidant called uh, glutathione our data indicates that as age increases glutathione uh, generation capacity is decreased so cells may not be recovered or repaired rapidly uh, like everything else as we get older uh, you can still do it but you do it a little slower says Madeleine Fernstrom uh, with a wink, weirdly. Mm. I don't know why she did that, but... Uh, <laughs> and a, another possible link between age and hangovers. <laughs> we've got fatter or thinner. Changes in body size in either direction can potentially worsen a hangover. When one's body weight is increased, blood alcohol level decreases because of its wide distribution into body fat and mass, which leads to one drinking extra glasses without realizing it, subsequently resulting in generation of more acetaldehyde. Or when one's body weight decreases, greater intoxication results due to the limited distribution of the body after consumption of an equal amount of alcohol. And older people might also be more likely to be on medications or taking supplements, which may interfere with the metabolism of booze. Uh, but 
maybe it's a surprisingly the most, loud plane. It's yeah. louder than most. That's going to show up. Maybe the most significant, if least scientific, explanation as to why hangovers feel so much worse when we get over, when we get older, is simply that we were less likely to want to warrior through the headache and nausea, and much more likely to want to retreat to the couch until we feel better. So it might be just we're bigger, we're bigger wusses, yeah, than we were when we were older. Um, I always want to retreat to the couch for every reason. Yeah, and I we drink less, wanna... so we're less accustomed to the reactions as well. Maybe some of us. But I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure I, there were even at my worst when I was a student, and I dr- there were times where I drunk to the point that I was throwing up or whatever. Yeah. Don't do that, kids. But still, the next day I might be nauseous, but I didn't have the pounding headache. I didn't feel like I couldn't get off the couch. Whereas now I have had and, those the, and days. the terrible depression. Yeah, <laughs> just like, Guys, what am I doing? Is that just me? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I probably drink as much as I did, not in college, but maybe like as much as I did in my 20s, post-college. That's not good. No. Well, you're no, a comedian. No. That's to be expected. I was you're just thinking a- about that. Like, if I, if I get some, because like everybody is dropping dead. By the way, RIP Glenn Fry, And fuck anybody who's just on the Big Lebowski bandwagon of hating the Eagles. Like, come on. It's the Eagles. Um, I'm not saying I love them, but you know, you have to respect what they did. Um, but yeah, with, with everybody dying now... Um, I'm thinking about like if I do get something cancerous related to my drinking, would I explain it? I mean, I'd have to take responsibility for it, but uh, I still feel like I, even though I drink, because any doctor, if you tell them you drink like on average like three or four drinks a night, they're gonna be like, holy shit, right. you're an alcoholic, you're dead. But I'm like, by comic standards, I'm like a very reasonable drinker. Right. Just by regular world yeah. standards. You're always drinking it like the right way up. No one's holding your legs right. over <laughs> a keg. <laughs> no, I'm, I've quit actually again. I'm, oh, that sounds really bad. I've quit again. That sounded so bad. <laughs> uh, I find myself going through phases. I'm not drinking at all at the moment and I'm a comic. So I've drank once this year, just w- one Damn. drink. Yeah, yeah. I'm not Although even trying to. To be fair, it is only two weeks into this year. That is true. Uh, I, I just go through phases where I just quit entirely and, and then start again for no real reason. But um, yeah, I find it easy to quit, guys. If anyone's struggling out there, <laughs> just want to say it's not hard. Uh, <laughs> uh, and if get you're not doing yourselves. it, it's your own personal failure. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and walk on the escalator. That's all I'm here to say. Yeah. I'm all about survival of the fittest. Um, <laughs> so you, you're not like, are you setting up a rule for yourself as far as No, I haven't even set a rule. Like people talk about dry January. I just did it naturally. Just didn't even just try. Happened. Yeah, yeah. It just happened. I get in, different, I get in a move. I just don't want to don't drink and I just don't see the point in it. And then it somehow flips again. And then I drink every day for six months. No, I don't. But, you know, <laughs> I, you know it goes in phases. Is that not normal? No, I, I, I've never... I don't think I've gone a week in the last, like, 15 years. I once went six years. How about that? That's longer than... Yeah. I once went six months, and I still talk about it. I'm like, that time I quit <laughs> drinking for six months. <laughs> it was, like, my biggest achievement. Yeah, and okay. it was amazing. But I got through well, it by drinking... Okay, because, like, uh, I like red wine, so I would come home from work, and I would eat a bowl of cereal, and that would quell my craving for red wine. So what I is eat a that? bowl of cereal. How does it relate to red wine? It's just sugary. Oh, okay, okay. And so it's just like, um, kind of, it just kind of killed that craving. And Were you sometimes on a date and you said, should we just get a bowl of cereal? Yeah. Did that ever? <laughs> yeah, I didn't date much. Oh, it was, my life was so boring. Okay. Yeah, how, how does, uh, can sober people have sex? Is that possible? I only did once in happens? six months. Did you see the... Uh, did it work? I mean, it was, uh, it was fine. But like, <laughs> I felt good because my body, like I was just like, I was at the perfect body weight and everything. So I was like, I feel incredible, but like... Did you see the Funny or Die video today? It's one of the few things like this that actually made me laugh. Uh, just making fun of just clickbaity videos. Um, they actually shot it. It was uh, couples try sex for the first time. 
Like someone off camera is like telling them about this thing. And they're like, so I do what? No. What <laughs> that sounds good. Um, you have a story for us? Yeah, well, there's a couple of nature stories. I don't know which of them. Linda Moulton sent in a couple of good stories about bringing a Galapagos tortoise species back to life or uh, a woolly mammoth resurrection. Or there's also a massive dinosaur that's being unveiled in the American Museum of Natural History that was sent in by David Kivillan, uh, Ki- uh, who addressed it to Matt, Andy, or whomever it may concern. I like a to whom it may concern story. Yeah. <laughs> this might be me. Yeah. Um, I'm concerned. The yeah. titanosaur is the massive dinosaur that's, that's being unveiled it. in New York at the American Museum of Natural History. Uh and you can't really see it the scale there. Let me show you the uh, picture of people taking photographs. How strong, how strong are the chains? Because there's been a bad history of uh, things on display in New York. Uh, <laughs> Titanosaur seems a bit of a silly name. Doesn't it? I've Titanosaur. Been, yeah, I've been playing with my nephew recently, and I've realized they've invented a lot of new dinosaurs that we didn't have. And I don't really credit any of these new dinosaurs. Just inherently, I just think, that's probably bullshit. It doesn't count. Yeah. Do you believe that the Spinosaurus now, there's one bigger than the T-Rex? I'm like, no, T-Rex is the biggest. And I, <laughs> I refuse to adapt. Uh, it's yeah. like they brought out like, right. a Top Trump's expansion pack. Yeah. It doesn't count. <laughs> If there is a bigger one, they name that the T-Rex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone else T-Rex. gets moved down yeah. a category. <laughs> it's just like Titanosaur, I don't know. Why am I so skeptical about these new dinosaurs? It's about 30 feet bigger than the museum's model of a blue whale. It's so big mm. it can't fit in the gallery space. Part of its 39-foot-long neck will extend through the passageway to greet visitors. Oh, my God. Uh, that's a massive dinosaur. Don't you think they just have to keep coming up with more and more dinosaurs to keep the interest going? Uh, no, just, <laughs> maybe. I mean, you know what would happen if they just didn't? They'd be like, "No, nothing this year, guys. You can't have that, can you?" In a, in a modern business, so it's like the way the stock market works. If you're like, not growing, yeah. you're so dying. just like yeah. Frankenstein this dinosaur, and they just like, put a bunch of different dinosaur bones <laughs> together for this guys, monster. We need, we've done we need that. to meet our dinosaur projections for this year. <laughs> yeah. I just realized I, I've just described the plot of Jurassic Park: The Lost World. That's <laughs> yeah. exact, literally exactly what happened. <laughs> um. I, I want to know about these uh, possibly resurrected Galapagos speak, uh, sp- species. Um, those tortoises look very dinosaurish, by the they way. They do look pretty. I mean, that's those ancient. Some of those reptiles are the closest things we now have to dinosaurs. Wouldn't you guess? And I'm birds, first I guess. Oh, God, that's yeah. a dinosaur, not a tortoise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe you're not an idiot like me. But <laughs> it's got, clearly got a shell, and uh, they have longer necks than I would expect for tortoises. So, Lonesome George, the iconic Galapagos tortoise whose death marked the end of his species, is in post-mortem luck. A scientific expedition has discovered some of his close blood relations alive and well. With careful breeding, biologists now hope to revive George's species and reintroduce the tortoises to the island on which they evolved. Uh, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know yeah. you could sort of merge someone back to... Like, you could recreate a species by carefully remixing the things that they were made of, kind of. Uh, he died. Lonesome George died in t- 2012 at more than 100 years old. Uh, his name was Lonesome George. His name was Lonesome George. Yeah, it's not his real name. <laughs> it was his birth name. His parents were super pessimistic. <laughs> uh, he was a tortoise and blues musician. They <laughs> <laughs> took DNA off his harmonica to uh, bring him back to life. <laughs> Uh, there are two types of Galapagos tortoises, saddle-backed and domed. Yep. Uh, (laughs) 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 Oh, here's here's why the tortoise numbers plummeted from more than a quarter of a million in the 16th century 
to a low of around 3,000 in the 1970s. And it's because in the 19th century, whalers, pirates, and other seafarers plucked the animals from their native island for use as ballasts and food on long journeys. Oh what's, a, what's a ballast? Uh, like some, just weight. Like a just counterweight. Like using it for its weight on something. Tortoises can live on a, in a ship's hold for more than a year without food or water. Oh. Even without water. Making them the perfect takeaway meals. What? So... That was a bit of a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, I don't know, just chuck a tortoise in there, it'll stay alive, and then just eat it when you need yeah, it. Oh, it right. weighs enough to keep the ship stable, and then when we're yeah. done with it, we just... The sailors preferred the smaller saddlebacks, which were easier to lug around and said to taste better. Huh. They were also easier to find. Dome tortoises live at higher elevations and can weigh 300 pounds. Saddlebacks evolved at lower elevations and feed on dry vegetation. Um, so the saddlebacks uh, disappeared from Santa Fe Island and Floriana Island a favourite hangout for sailors posting letters for other ships to carry home. With George's death, the Pinters were gone too. But now the story of the extinct Galapagos tortoises has taken a strange and hopeful twist. More than a century ago, it turns out, sailors dumped saddleback tortoises they did not need into Banks Bay near Wolf Volcano on Isabella Island. Those are all great wow. names. Yeah, it sounded like a Billy Joel song at one point. <laughs> Luckily, tortoises could extend their necks above water and float on their backs. Many of them made it to shore, lumbered across the lava fields, and interbred with Isabella's native domed tortoises. In 2008, scientists tagged and collected blood samples from more than 1,600 tortoises living on the flanks of the volcano. Back in the lab, there was a genetic eureka. 89 of the animals were part Floriana, whose genetic profile DNA had been obtained from museum samples. Some had genes indicating their parents were living purebred Floriana tortoises, hinting that the species may not be extinct after all. Uh, 17 of them were shown to have high levels of Pinter DNA, and that tortoises can live for more than 150 years, so some may well be in George's immediate next of kin. Uh, so last month, scientists went back to find them. Their plan was to capture and separa separate tortoises with high levels of Pinter and Floriana DNA, and then breed animals that are genetically closest to the original species. Wait, are we talking about tortoise eugenics right now? Yeah. I'm not sure I'm on board with this. are going to create a super tortoise, <laughs> yeah. almost pure bred one. Uh, in a few generations, it should be possible to obtain tortoises with 95% of their lost ancestral genes. Uh, That's pretty amazing. Why? Because they found these guys that they can mate with each other that are actually... The missing species. Here's a picture oh. of some saddleback tortoises being captured and taken to Santa Cruz Aww. Island, and they're sort of in nets. It does they're look so like, helpless. Yeah, it does look like the netting that they're sort of suspended in looks like something from every film set in a jungle yeah. where someone stepped into the wrong track <laughs> and just triggered the net. Um, By the way, I love that uh, Elizabeth It's basically Hunter the uh, Return of the Jedi. But. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Hunter, postdoctoral researcher on the expedition from University of Georgia, said one of the males is a doppelganger for Lonesome George. Like you can really tell tortoises <laughs> apart. Come on. You oh, you're being tortoise racist a now. A little bit. <laughs> no, Lonesome George is one of the good ones, though. I mean, yeah, I'm being tortoise racist. Um, I would say tortoise. we should. I was tortoise. I was like, yeah. how do we combine tortoise. these words? Tortoise. I think we actually might have to call it, Matt. We have a. Uh, yeah, we've we've um, got well, a we date gonna, with destiny. We're gonna post that. Uh, we're gonna post the link to that story and all others as we always do at probablyscience.com, where you can also find our donate button uh, and uh, some. We've got some recurring monthly donations to thank. Thank you, Paul Freeland. Thank you, Peter Long. Thank you, Alexandra Dor, and thank you, Caroline Laco, uh, for your monthly. I, I, I've done this before. I've said for your monthly generosity, and I've immediately gone. That just sounds so wrong. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you for your monthly generosity, all of those people. And uh, also the Amazon link there. If you're shopping on Amazon, click our link first and we get a little commission on everything you buy. It costs you no extra. Uh, so do that. Uh, also spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Facebook, tweet, um, Ello, whatever social media you use, spread the word. Google Plus. Hello. Raya, the rich, the famous person's Tinder. Uh, plug us on there. Yeah. You guys heard about Raya? Yeah. Raya? Yeah, it's the thing that Amy Schumer met her boyfriend on. It's like a Tinder, but it, it vets but you first to make famous. sure you're famous. He's like famous among furniture designers, I guess. Okay. You have to have a certain Instagram presence. Oh, that's so irritating. That's like when I found out about the Chipotle coin. What's that? Well, when you're famous, you get a coin, you get free Chipotle. <laughs> Reasons. Really? Reasons to get Is famous. That, that's like the Nando's black card. <laughs> I knew about all of them. <laughs> Got them all, right? Yeah. He, just, he just dumps them out on the table. He talk about yeah. these. Yeah. <laughs> um, my face is the only Chipotle coin I need. <laughs> if you need a coin, you're not famous. Right, right. <laughs> right. Are you famous? Are you Chipotle famous? Uh, Maria and Nick, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? You're both very funny comedians and deserve to be seen. Oh, thanks. Do you want to go? Um, you can go to my website, mariashahada.com. It's S-H-E-H-A-T-A. And it just has on my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that. Excellent. All right. Uh, go to Twitter, at Nick Dixon, with two X's, because someone took my actual name. So, at Nick Dixon, D-I-X-X-O-N, nickdixoncomedian.com. And, um, yeah, check out my Twitter. I talk a lot about tortoises and um, tortopods. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't know what the plural is. And, uh, yeah, do that. Did you Thanks. ever consider going triple X on the Dixon Twitter handle? Is it, would that be cooler? I'd, I've thought about Nick Dixon comic. I've had a lot of... The, the guy who's got Nick Dixon just is just an egg. He's never even oh, posted. He doesn't oh, even have any followers. He follows one local football team. He's followed... Exclu- uh, soccer, that is. He's followed exclusively by small soccer teams. He's an egg. Never posted. Mm-hmm. I, I like, how can I get... Can you... I want... You can sometimes reclaim those accounts. Mm-hmm. There are ways that... You I looked make- into it and I couldn't... Apparently, they were not these days. You just have to ask the person... Will you give me it? But, but he's never per- even on there because he's just yeah. An that egg. person's never going to notice gonna it. Even notice no. the DM if you send and they it used there. to be able to appeal to Twitter to do it. There's different ways of doing it. Now apparently you can't. So you do the actual person has to give you the name. It's it's ridiculous. Somebody I, I know uh, knows someone named Lara, and then her last two initials are M and S, or middle name and last name. Right. She has at Lara MS, which is very in demand when the Rams moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> like, ooh, oh. you're going to get top dollar for that, for at LA Rams. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. okay. I didn't get that at first. Okay. Yeah, of course. And like, you can't be blamed uh, if you're squatting. Like, if someone bought, you know, I think people used to buy domain names of celebrities and then. Yeah, like when a new thing comes them. out, they're like, oh, I'll get at Britney Spears before she gets it herself, and then I'll get a. Te- but I'll then, get like the hundred thousand followers, yeah. and that's what people were doing courts. with Nick Dixon. They were like, "I'll get it before exactly. yeah, Nick Dixon." Yeah. But then the courts weren't like they were saying, "No, oh, fuck you, you can't do that." You were intentionally trying to extort somebody. But if Lara just had this thing that was legitimately, it wasn't yeah. like she was trying to squat it. Well, LA also, Rams. if your name is legitimately the same as a celebrity, which obviously right. does happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are. So I hope she gets paid for that. That's kind of cool. And follow at LA Rams. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and as before, any questions, comments, clarifications, probablyscience at gmail.com. You can tweet us at probablyscience. Thank you, both of you, and we will see you all next week. Bye.